Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the Eco Wild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. 
And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. This week we're doing some uh, listener Q&As, which there are timestamps down in the description if you want to skip ahead to those Q&As. But in the meantime, we got a bunch of bucks to talk about because we've had a productive two weeks. Wow. Oh. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Let's <laughs> clarify the story real quick. How you doing, Jacob? Doing, doing good. Not as good as Andrew. Not as good as Andrew. Andrew's doing good. Yeah. Andrew killed uh, three bucks in six days. Yeah. In two different states. So you're on yeah. a little hot streak. You know, we'll see if it, you get, you got, it's all great and dandy, but you still got to kill the big deer on the club. Yeah. The, the number one target hitless buck. And he's yeah. getting close. Getting close. Yeah. We talked about on the last outro how, um, how, yeah, I guess it was the last one. My stepdad, I we had a cold front come in. I went to a spot that I've been eyeballing for a while. We found it in turkey season. Found the buck sign there. Sent my stepdad to it a week later, and he had that big 10-point come in. Number one hitless buck. Had him come in. Mm-hmm. Missed him. Smoked the limb. It happens. Happens to the best of us. So then we went to Arkansas, which y'all are going to hear all about Arkansas on Monday's episode. Uh, that's coming out the the. Yeah, this coming Monday, yep. so immediately after this one, uh, where we're going to talk about our Arkansas success. I didn't actually show this buck on there because I left him at home and we didn't record here, but this is this is the buck, one of the bucks I got in Arkansas. So, pretty good eight point, yeah. big old chocolate rack. If uh, if you're not watching on YouTube, then you should be, because yeah. you'll be able to see this joker. Yeah, you're missing out. But anyways, yeah, shot that buck uh, on day two in Arkansas, ended up tagging out. I actually, grab that deer again, because... I don't know if you realize, we're both wearing, you know, this dark brown. You can hold it down here. You can see it a lot better oh. up against us. Oh, that's there, true. There you go. So, yeah, pretty good buck. Yeah, that's Andrew's buck right there. So so we were initially slated to be in Arkansas from, I guess, the 11th to the 18th. We had like eight days to hunt. Mm-hmm. And, again, y'all are going to hear all about it, but we ended up killing five bucks between the four of us. So in, it was in five, me. In five days. Yeah, five bucks in and, five days. And really, days. it was four bucks in three days. Yes. And yes, then, we had, then we had a lull of activity, and then you, you yeah. shot your last year. It's funny how you go from like highs of highs to lows of lows, because it's like, dude, that we started so hot on that trip. It was like, bam, killed a buck, killed a buck, killed a buck, killed a buck. And then day four rolled around, and I saw like one doe, and I did a dark-to-dark set. I'm like, it's over. <laughs> like, there's no more deer. The, rut, I, the rut's done. And then I killed a buck the next day and tagged yeah. out. So I killed, again, y'all are going to hear about it all on Wednesday. Uh, it was me, Jacob. Wednesday. Uh, Monday. <laughs> Why did I say Wednesday? I don't know. Um, Jacob's uncle Anthony, who people have heard on the podcast before, Anthony killed a hammer. He yeah. killed a huge buck. So, and then Thomas, uh, Jacob's brother, Thomas tagged out as well. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, to get to where we're going today, I ended up tagging out on Wednesday, and you know, there I, I brought Boone up there because I wanted to go and do some like woodcock hunting or. Or just whatever kind of upland opportunity there might have been around there. Mm-hmm. Duck season wasn't quite open yet, so I couldn't go duck hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, and throughout the week, I don't. I heard like one woodcock all week, and so I was like, I don't know if I really want to go like tromping around, and, you know, during gun season with him for like you know not very many woodcock. Uh, if if we were hearing like a bunch of them, it would have been different. But I was like, you know what? 
I'm just going to go ahead and bounce, go back to Alabama, mm-hmm. save save an extra vacation day, because I took vacation to go do this from work. So save that vacation day so I can use that for Bama's rut, mm-hmm. and then I can catch the Alabama gun opener, which was the 18th, so it was on that Saturday. And so that's what I did, came home early, and Saturday it was time to uh, hit the club again Yeah, and go back out there and catch Alabama's gun opener. Um yeah, you, you got anything to add before I like start rolling into this? Oh, I mean, dude, it was just, I mean, y'all are going to hear about this, but it, it was so slow because I stayed up there until uh, I left Sunday, but I, I hunted through Saturday. And it just, it went from like us seeing like 15 deer sit to like in like four days, I think I saw like six deer total. Oh, yeah. And hunting really, really good spots, you know, spots that, you know, either I've had success with before or throughout this hunt, like we've been having a ton of encounters and it just like that deer got abducted by aliens. Yeah. Yeah, like, or, was... they, or they crawl on the ground. <laughs> so, um, you know, that was interesting. But I definitely think we, we experienced up in Arkansas, and we talked about this a little bit on Monday's episode, um, like more bucks being locked down with does throughout yeah. the week. Yeah. And that's what I really think had happened. Because we were still seeing some doe movement, but like just the, like, even like a small rack buck, like you just weren't seeing them moving a whole bunch. And, I, yeah. and there were so many does in that area. I think that a lot of those bucks really just got locked down because the first day we got there, first two days we got there, mm-hmm. everybody was seeing a little bit of kind of like some rutting activity. Um, you know, every day you saw had like black tarsal glands on them. Oh, yeah. Um, Except that buck. Except where'd it go? Well, I was saying the does specifically. Oh, yeah. But yeah, other than this buck right here, this buck that Andrew killed didn't seem to want to take part in the rut. <laughs> um, so anyway, but um, but that was, that was really a challenge because it seemed like they got locked down and just like the overall buck movement just ceased and stopped. Yeah. Uh, even like we had cell cameras out and it just like stopped, like all yep. that movement stopped. Um, but the thing is, and also, we were hunting during a little warming front. They had a cold front, like, end of October. Yeah, warming trend all week. All week. Every day was a little bit warmer than the next uh, until, like, one of the days. I think it got, like, 70. It's, like, mid-70s, mid to low 70s. And that's funny enough is when Anthony killed his big deer in, like, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, yep. But that that was, I think, a, a huge factor for us. But also, I'm like, dude, because that, that gun season, you know, throughout the state, I think the whole state of Arkansas, like, that gun season lasts. It's like three weeks or something, like two and a half weeks, three weeks, something yeah. like that. And I think, you know, you had that really good activity, that first part of the gun hunt for the first few days, and it slacked off. And I bet you if you were there, like, this week right now, like, when we're recording this. It's probably getting back It's probably, on. Get, you know, the bucks are kind of broken back. You know, they're kind of, you know, they, they bred that doe. They're kind of looking for another doe. They're kind of moving a little bit more. Yeah. And uh, it made me wonder why I was pulling all those cameras. Um, whether or not that, you know, we would start having some more big bucks show back up. So, yeah, I I think, I think you probably would have, I think, I think you're right about that, which again, we covered that Monday's episode. Uh, so y'all get to hear all about that yeah. on Monday in, in more depth. And we'll probably end up talking about it a little bit more as, as the year goes on, as we kind of look back and reflect, cause it was mm-hmm. a really intense week of hunting. Um, so that kind of sets the stage for Alabama and coming back to Alabama for the gun opener, which, by the way, for the gun opener, we got these uh, nice Southern Outdoorsman's orange hats, which we have not very many of them left. So if you want one, you better go snatch it up real quick because they're going to be gone probably by the time this podcast comes out. Uh, yeah. So if might. you're if you're one of the first people listening or watching this, if you if you want a Southern Outdoorsman blaze orange yeah. hat, which uh, by the way, you know, there's been some killers who've killed some giant deer in this hat. Yes. Very notably, Michael Perry. Uh, killed a state record buck in one of these hats, one of the first versions of these hats, mm-hmm. um, along with a ton of others. So, again, yeah, if you want one of these Southern Outdoorsman Blaze Orange hats or any of the other hats, and I've got one of the hats on as well right now, 
these old oh, school the chocolate chip, baby. Yeah, the old school camo hats and these uh, brown on brown, as Andrew calls the chocolate chip hat, just came back in stock. So go pick them up. Uh, link down below mm-hmm. in the show notes. And yep. uh, we appreciate everybody's already purchased hats. Y'all have been awesome with supporting us. So thank you again. And yep. you know, kind of working on some other stuff at some point. So trying to figure out some other stuff that y'all would really like. Because I got a message last night from a big listener who's like. Dude, when are y'all going to come out with some t-shirts and hoodies and all that kind I of saw stuff? that email we got about t-shirts, by the way. Okay. They got good prices. Yeah, 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 I know. So we might we might, we might, might have to do some t-shirts, man. Uh-huh. Uh, anyways, all right, so that sets the stage. We came back to Alabama, and, uh, I mean, again, if people have been listening to the podcast, we got a big 10-point on camera at my hunting club. Yep. There's there's a, a group of bucks out there, and, you know, it just kind of depends on how my year's going, like what my hit list is made out of. Mm-hmm. So now that, you know, I killed a doe on my club earlier this year, and then I killed two bucks in Arkansas. So I'm, like, real good on deer meat. Uh, I try to kill four a year just for me and my family. Uh, if I kill more than that, I got the freezer space. Well, I mean, we'll definitely eat it, but also I'll share it with other people. Yeah. Like, I'll give some to my parents. I'll give some to Tiffany's parents, my sister. Um so, because I, because the freezer's already really good, I'm like, I'm going to be really picky. Yeah. So, that, that leaves out of the 14 or 15 bucks that we've gotten on camera, or maybe it's, maybe it's like 12. We, we've gotten a bunch of different bucks on camera mm-hmm. at my hunting club. A lot of them are kind of borderline bucks. There's three that I'm real interested in. There's a, the Big Ten, there's a Big Eight Point, and there's a Big Six Point. So... No, the Big Eight's not the one that... Well, no, I'm not going to jump to the story, but... You, you didn't see that one from the no, 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 no. Okay. No. Um, so there's a couple spots that my stepdad, Mike, and I went and prepped on the hunting club for gun season specifically that I was really excited about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's on the, a part of the property that not a lot of people hunt. It's it's thick. Well, give, it, us, give us some details, Andrew. I don't know if anybody in the club listens. That's yeah. why I'm like, you know. A yeah. little cautious, a little yeah. cautious. Uh-huh. Now, again, the, the the club is made up of, like, food plot hunters. I mean, these guys, again, nothing wrong with it, but... They wear out these food... They it, wear out the food it, plot. It's, it's so funny, especially, like, when... Because I've not I've never been in a hunting club. Like, I used to go as a kid, as a guest, to like, some of my uncle's hunting clubs or leases they were in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, their method of operation was pretty much like, you know, if you're going to hunt a food plot... You know, you drive a truck in, but you're still parking hundreds of yards away and then walking to the spot. Not in this club. This club, they're parking their truck eight feet from the shooting house on the food plot. Yeah. Like, it is it is crazy. And I'm like, yeah. and then they're like, you know, come to find out, they're like, man, we ain't seen, there's no deer out here. The deer numbers aren't doing great. Yeah, I had one guy in the club talking to me. He's like, oh, the, the deer are really hurting out here. They're not doing good. They don't have any food. There's too many coyotes. Every excuse in the book man and just fast forwarding i don't think i've killed a buck this fat ever in alabama so they're doing fine well, not just that but you've seen a ton of does we've seen a ton of does yeah a lot of it, does. it's just they're not on those food plots and it's like which yeah. par- par- partially to do with you know most of us in the southeast up until the time we recorded this podcast we just had a big rain come through which is the first significant rain we've had in months now yeah, yeah. um but you know it's been extremely dry so food plots haven't done great uh very few people actually have decent looking food plots yeah um and that was probably part of the reason why a lot of these guys were upset they put all this work in and you helped out as well in the work day yeah of putting in food plots but like when we went out there um it was during both season we were just spot checking some stuff after we got done hunting um it might have been I don't know, a day or two after you had shot your doe and the food plots just look 
bad like dirt patches. Yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> that didn't look good. And uh, and now I'm sure uh, you know with some more moisture and everything, they're they're probably gonna turn out a little bit better if there's still seed on the ground that the birds didn't pick up. But um, it's just it's so funny seeing that culture. I'm sure every hunting club is a little bit different, but like it seems like a lot of the guys in your hunting club or or there's a decent amount of older guys, and then there's a decent amount of those guys that are kind of like they're they're serious deer hunters, but they're serious food pot hunters. And the problem is, especially with y'all's club, is there's no real, there's only a handful of like bigger food pots. And yeah. I would say bigger, like the biggest one may be like half an acre in size, maybe. Yeah. Um, so it's not like you have these huge food pots that you can kind of get in and get out clean. These are a lot of small food pots. So if you do have deer come in right at dark, you're blowing them out getting out of the tree stand mm-hmm. uh, or out of the shooting house or the yeah. blind or pop up blind, whatever it is. And, um, you know, it, it really sets up. Uh, as an uphill battle for a lot of those dudes that hunt those food plots. Yeah, so I'm just avoiding hunting those food plots, essentially. Um, and, I mean, that, the deer, I, I'm sure they end up in them. I actually haven't ran any cameras on those food plots, which I kind of want to start doing just to see what is showing up and when they're showing up. Yeah. But, I mean, we're just we're on them so good already just hunting in the woods that I don't, I don't really need to, you yeah. know? It's just, and one thing about this club, too, is, is, uh, I don't think there's actually a ton of deer on it. Now, the more I hunt it, the more I, I feel like it's it's definitely not what I would consider high deer density, mm-hmm. and uh, you just don't find a lot of bucks on on the club. No, but they're in pockets. That's they're the thing. Hundred percent. It's kind of like a lot of the public land that we've hunted, uh, where like you know there's decent deer numbers, but like you could go through hundreds of acres and find very little deer sign, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you get in this one thirty forty acre chunk. And it's like sign is everywhere. There's droppings, there's yep. scrapes, there's rubs. You're seeing deer, um, and I think your club sets up a lot like that, where there's there's good habitat, like in different areas of the club, mm-hmm. but like some of the areas that have like some what I would call like some of the better habitat don't have a ton of deer in them right now. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, it's it's really weird, especially don't have any buck sign. Like there, there's parts of the club that you look at, you're like, dude, there's gonna be scrapes and rubs here, and you go in there and you walk all of it, and there's not any fresh sign. There's yeah. old sign from last year, like old rubs from the rut, but uh, nothing fresh. And it's like, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. Because like if I saw this on a map and I, w- I was going on public land, I'd feel pretty confident I'm going to go kill a buck. Mm-hmm. And, the f- and the funny thing is, those areas, I don't think we've ever seen a rack buck in those areas. Mm-mm. No, I haven't. Yeah. I haven't. Uh, yeah, it's it's weird. And, you know, what? one thing we talk about is having a, a longer-term strategy for whatever you're hunting, be it public or private or your own, like whatever it is. You know, this is my second year in this club, Mm -hmm. and I almost joined a different club instead of rejoining the one I'm in. And ultimately, because I didn't get anything really on camera last year that I was excited about. I got a bunch of scrub bucks and young deer and just weird-looking freaking not, I mean, just not great-looking bucks. Cool bucks. Yeah, cool bucks. Oh, that's that's a reference to Monday's episode. (laughs) And... uh, um, so I almost didn't join it, but I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm confident that there's stuff here that is worth hunting. I just haven't found it yet. Yeah. Or I haven't quite honed in. So year two, like, baby, we are on them. Mm-hmm. We are on them year two. And well, that's what I'm talking about. Well, it's just like going back to an episode and we need to look up, um, Kevin, uh, Tulsa's episode. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I'll look it up for you. And, uh, it's like, it's like big, talking about, I think big buck sanctuaries or something like that was like the title, but. Kevin Tolis is a is a guy from Alabama who we've had on the podcast a couple times now, and uh, 
we had a whole episode with him, especially if you're in a hunting club, I would highly recommend this episode that Andrew's going to look up. Um, because he had a, he has 206. a 206 episode 206 was the title. Yep. All the way back to 2020. What was the title? Finding and hunting big bucks sanctuaries with Kevin Tullis episode 206. So look it up that episode. He talks it, it's specifically on his hunting club strategy. So he hunts public land and hunting clubs. Um, and his strategy for hunting clubs is kind of similar like to what you're doing. Like, He's like, typically, he's like, you may have success that first year in it, but really that first year, you're just trying to learn the lay of the land. You're learning how the other hunters are hunting it, and you're finding the pockets where guys aren't going into, yeah. and that's where you're kind of capitalizing on, like, you know, finding and killing a lot of these bucks. And that's what he talked about. He's like, you know, year two is when you start cleaning up. Like, year two, yeah. You, yeah. Know, you kill, you know, a, you know, a couple of those real big deer, and typically year three, they vote you out or you don't have a spot <laughs> in, in the club. And I think Kevin said he'd been kicked out of, like, I don't know, five or six clubs because, yeah. you know, he'd be the only one to kill one or two or maybe even three big bucks in a year. Yeah. And nobody else had killed anything. And they're like, well, he's doing something wrong or blah, 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 blah. And, you know, they vote you out. Well, yeah. And I can see how that, you know, this is the first club I've been in in quite a while. And I could see how that could happen because, again, these guys are, they're, they go plant their food plots. They've, until recently, were able to bait. Um, it's Westervelt and Westervelt uh, band baiting mm-hmm. on all their property. So we can't, we can't bait on that property. So they lost that. And, uh, you know, as we'll get to, some of them were seemed a little frustrated that I shot this buck. And, yeah, I mean, if you go out there and you start having really consistent success, I, I mean, I could see how they would be like, well, what's he like? He's probably baiting. He's probably doing this. He's yeah. probably doing something he's not supposed to. Because, uh, you know, I mean, I, I could see how they could come to that conclusion and, you know. <laughs> be unhappy about it yeah and so that's how you get voted out which has happened to kevin and some other people that we know oh a- a- anthony brought it up on yeah uh, Anth- it happened to anthony yeah anthony says it's happened to him which i don't think he talked about monday's episode but uh we were i think of, he briefly went over it maybe. yeah a little bit but he's like oh yeah he's like it happens all the time they vote you out he's like get to the end of season next year they don't have a spot for you because yeah. you killed you, you voted know, off the island you're bro. The, you're the only one to kill big deer out there for the year and they're like well yeah we don't want him in here it's kind of funny it's like the hunting clubs like the ideal hunting club, if I had to guess from like a member's perspective, perspective is like a bunch of people that just don't kill anything, and <laughs> everybody thinks it's like, oh, it's fair game now because nobody can kill anything, like you know. Mm-hmm. But you have one dude having a lot of success. It's like, okay, well, we got to vote him off the island, like you know. Yeah, he's he's doing something he's not supposed to, or he's just too. Good. Or he's yeah, or he's getting the deer that you know. We'll get to that. Yeah, there's, we'll a, there's get... a comment somebody made at the pinout shed where I'm like, so it begins. Yeah. <laughs> so the drama begins. Yeah, grown men having hissy fits. It's hilarious. Yeah, it is what it is. Uh, so, so one of these spots that we prep for gun season, essentially all it is is I think I've narrowed down where these bucks are wanting to bed, and I was really confident about it before season. And I was really, really confident about it when I found those rubs. Mm-hmm. And then it just, I'm 100% sure about it now that Mike went in there and saw those bucks come out of that spot early in the afternoon, too. I mean, good hour before dark, at least. Maybe a little bit more than an hour before dark. Yeah. And so that confirmed, I'm like, yes, they were bedding right where I thought they were. And essentially, it's thick pines. Like, it's it's nothing crazy. It's It's thin pines that have a really just unbelievably thick understory mm-hmm. and they're just there's a particular area in there that they like to hang out and we get a lot of questions about uh those larger thick areas that are kind of monotonous and where do they bed in it because they can kind of bed anywhere and what i found is it's one of two things it's either they just pick a spot and they like it and you can you can find it based on sign like rubs coming out of a certain area 
Or there's like some subtle feature in there, just like a little bump or like a logging road that, that goes through it or some something that's different in there and they, they'll gravitate towards that. Well, this is kind of like one of those features like that they gravitate towards and it's just something, it's an anomaly in there. It's like a, there's like a road that goes up through it that you can see on the LiDAR if you look at LiDAR of this place. And they kind of they kind of hold around that. And uh, so I went to go hunt one of my number one spots and Mike was with me. And there was two different spots that we could go to. Mm-hmm. And I, well, I was kind of trying to wolf pack the area a little bit. And I was like, Mike, you can either go here or you can go here. And he, he zigged and he should have zagged, man. Andrew's <laughs> the ultimate gar holder. <laughs> he he gar holed poor Mike. I thought, I thought Mike was going to see something where he went. Mm. Uh, and, and so I, I ended up going to the spot I really wanted to go to because uh, I thought it was the better spot. Um, and so I go up in there. and uh, Yeah, he should have been on X. He put him on Z. I mean, I thought I was. I, know, I was I just, confident. I know, I'm giving you crap. I'm just giving you crap. I but was confident in the other spot too. Me and Mike were talking about this uh, when we were recording Monday's episode over at their place, and and I'm like, I'm like, so Andrew Garhold, he's like, man, he's like, me, he's like, me and Sam were giving him crap. He's like, it's all good, but he's like, oh we're, man, we're gonna give him so much crap. He's like, Andrew comes out here after killing two bucks in Arkansas, and oh yeah, know, dude, I, I gave Mike crap too because I'm like, I put you on the ten point, you missed him. Like, come on. So, anyways. Anyways, I'm like, you got to have a couple bad sits now before you get another crack. You can't just go back out there and just kill him. Yeah, <laughs> we got to have realistic. Which you know, on Mike's very first hunt last year, mm-hmm. very first hunt, we were walking to the spot and saw some does. Yeah, and he got all set up with a rifle. I'm like, he's about to kill a, a freaking deer. Three minutes into his first hunt, I'm like, this can't happen. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I mean, I wanted him to hit the deer, but I'm like, dang, he's gonna have like a warped view of hunting, and he missed. And it's been a little bit of a struggle fest since then. I'm like, okay, good, because I'm kind of, I'm kind of glad he's suffering a little bit because it's gonna make it that much better. It, it, suffering, that's a that's a bad way to say it. <laughs> a little bit of adversity he's gonna have to overcome in order to have that success. Yeah, a little, little bit. Of adversity. As Travis Murray says, failure is the seasoning that makes success taste so mm-hmm. sweet. And it's well, that- and he's and I've watched him just get more and more and more fired up. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Sam and Sam's wife Blakely. They've been going a lot and just. Being able to to take them out there and kind of show them the ropes and and help them mm-hmm. and be a part of their enthusiasm has been awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been one of the highlights of my season for sure. Uh, it's just really really fun getting to go with all them and they're all like new and fired up and you mm-hmm. can see the excitement growing every time you go. Mm-hmm. Mike texted me this morning. He's like, "Dude, I can't I can't stop thinking about. It. I'm not getting anything done at work. I'm like, yes, let's go. That's what I'm talking about." So anyways, I'm I'm so excited about it. Yeah. So I go to one of my spots that I'm real confident in. And uh I get I mean, really there, there's not much to it other than I I got set up and it was probably about 4:40 in the afternoon. It gets dark here about 5:15 is the end of legal shooting light roughly. And about 4:40 um I look up and I I see a buck that just walked out and he's like 70 yards from me or so mm-hmm. uh again like kind of through these pines and i see him and i see he has antlers and so like my heart jumps instantly i'm like it's him and i get the gun up zoom up on him and he's like a goofy little five point he's he's right at his ears he's a cool buck he's a he's a jacob's cool buck um kind of goofy missing a brow tine on one side his other brow tines like that big definitely a cool buck yeah he's a he's a real cool buck <laughs> well so <laughs> This is uh this is like November eighteenth yeah. when that happened. Okay, so two weeks prior, this is mm-hmm. before we went to Arkansas. Mike had that Big Ten come in with a bachelor group mm-hmm. of five bucks, 
And so I'm like, I wonder if these deer are still bachelored. Like I already, I looked at him. I decided I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not going to shoot this deer. And he's like, he's walking towards me. And out of the corner of the scope, I see just fur in the woods. I'm like, oh, there's another one. This one comes out and he's a similar buck. I think he might've been a six. I'm, I'm not even sure what he was, but again, immediately saw he's a rack buck, but he's not what I'm interested in at this point. Yeah. And so he's coming and I'm like, he's okay. A, he's a youngin. He's a youngin. So they're, they're like walking through the woods towards me and I'm like, okay, like let's see what else. Cause now, dude, now the heart rate is, is rising. I'm like, I'm about to kill the big 10 point. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, uh, and they, they're feeding for a couple minutes. Now the first buck, is walking straight towards me. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's coming, like, straight towards me. And I'm like, this joker's about to get right on top of me and freaking bust me. And he's like, he, he I first saw him probably at, like, 80 yards or so. Mm -hmm. And by this time, he's probably, he's already close to, like, 45 yards. Third buck pops out. Pretty good eight point, like tempting eight point. But if I if I hadn't shot these two bucks in Arkansas, I might have shot this eight point. He was he's actually very similar to my first buck in Arkansas. He had he had good oh, mass. Really? Yeah. Um, oh, you put him outside. Oh yeah, I already put him out. Dang it. So um, so he had he had really good mass. Mm -hmm. He was he was right there at the ears, and he had good time length. Like he's a good deer. And I was like, uh, how many guys on the club do you think are going to pass that? Zero. Anybody in the club would have shot him, I think. Um, he he start he's coming out, and I'm like, okay, they're getting bigger. Like it, each buck is getting bigger, and uh, so he comes out, and he's feeding around, and I mean these they've been in front of me for a minute now. Mm -hmm. And now buck number one is three feet from the base of my tree, and he's like he's you know just walking, and he gets to my tree, and he's like. And I mean, just look straight at me. And I'm on the gun like this, you know, rest up against the tree. I'm in the saddle. And I'm like looking at him through the corner of my eye like that. And uh, you had the gun rested up against the tree? Yeah. I'm telling you, you, shoot, you have way too short of a bridge on your saddle. No, 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 no. Because I, I took your advice and I lengthened my bridge a whole bunch. And so now you, you can, I can move my, we're, we have a question about this. Okay. But I just, I shift my tether. Like if this is the middle of the tree, I shift my tether just slightly to the left. Uh huh. And then I can get like I can kind of to shift the left my, or to the right to the right. I'm sorry, I don't know what left and right. Clearly, <laughs> <laughs> and so so I shift my hips and I can grab the tree and rest the gun on my, on top of my hand. And it is like I might as well be shooting off a freaking sled. It yeah. is super solid. So I feel really confident yeah, with that. It, but also, if I if I have to shoot more to the left and I can't really lean on the tree, I can rest on my bridge like what you were oh, talking yeah, about. Yeah. So like that w one of our questions today is about that. Is, is it, it? Yeah, you showed me how to do that, and it is night and day. Oh, it it's so it, like, dude, I would rather shoot a rifle out of a saddle longer distance, like two hundred plus yards. Yeah. Than out of a climber or especially a lock on. Yeah. Like it 100%. is, it is so much more stable. But keep going. So he's yeah, I mean he's right beneath me. I'm like crap. He's gonna and I'm still waiting for more bucks to come out because that, I got three bucks out right now. Mm -hmm. And all I can think about is Sam and Mike and where they're hunting. Mm -hmm. And, like, they would have shot any one of these deer. I'm like, dang, man, I kind of wish they were up here. Because, <sighs> and so, the I'm, I'm still waiting. Mm -hmm. Buck number one, standing mm -hmm. three feet from me. He's, like, staring at me, and he's, like. The, the little head bob. Yeah, doing a little head bob. He's like, what the hell is that thing up there in that tree? And I'm, like, completely motionless. And he ends up bounding. Okay, so he runs below me and kind of down the hill. Mm-hmm. And um, he just, he didn't blow or anything. He just, 
bounded, got to like 40 yards and then stopped and stood there looking back up at me. And I'm like, okay, interesting. Um, we'll see about, we'll see about what, what this does. The other bucks, they look for a minute and then they just go back to what they're doing, which mm-hmm. what they're doing is just walking around browsing in these pines. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of honeysuckle and greenbrier and they're just eating whatever green stuff they can get their mouth on. And, and that's one thing that I think a lot of people don't realize when you go in pines and out the pines you're talking about are very different from like old growth pines has never been thinned or like younger pines has never been thin where it's nothing but pine straw on the ground. Nothing's growing up underneath. When you have like this understory growing up underneath uh, pines, it looks really, really thick, but there's all this greenery that they're browsing on. Like you said, like honeysuckle, greenbrier, there's a bunch of other plants and forbs that are growing up and they're just picking on that stuff. And a lot of people don't realize that until you actually go out there and witness it. Because you look at it like, oh, man, there's nothing for a deer to eat. And probably like a lot of dudes in the club are like, man, there's nothing for a deer to eat. Yeah. But it's all food. Like everything underneath those trees is food. Yeah, for 100%. Them. And, you know, so when I hunted out there yesterday, mm-hmm. even then, I saw six does, which is a lot for this hunting club. Mm-hmm. And especially, all of them, but especially the first one, was just walking up and down through the woods. Literally like a lawnmower. Like, she would come towards me, and then she'd turn around and go away. And, I mean, she was just walking around all over the place, just eating stuff. Mm-hmm. But anyways, so, yeah, it's like a big food plot, which is just another reason why they don't have to go out into food plots. Yeah. Why would they go out in a food plot? To eat one thing. To eat, yeah. When well, they're browsing, they're eating. Honeysuckle, greenbrier, you know, woody browse, whatever else they got. I don't even know what all they're eating. Yeah. But it's like a huge... And, like, a deer is not really, like, a grazing species anyway. They're a browsing species. So, so a bunch of different species they'll feed on. Yeah. And they got they got everything within, you know, their reach right there. They stand there. They can eat seven different plants as opposed to if they go out in a food plot. I'm not saying they don't go in food plots. Obviously, they do. Mm-hmm. But I think, that, I think that the native browse is even better than the food plots, especially when you're planting just, like, rye or, like, some kind of, like, oats or something. I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't even know what they plant out there, to be honest with you. But uh, but it just seems like it's it's what deer want. So these bucks are walking around in the woods. They're eating all kinds of stuff, watching them. And then buck number four pops out. Buck number four is my number three buck, my the big six. So he's a he's a buck that if people go back in the summer and, and listen to when we were going over our trail camera stuff, he was he's a good deer for sure. He's a really good deer, and uh, I was of course more interested in the ten point. But you were really interested in that six point. You're like, give me that big six, man. I actually got a message when I posted him on my Instagram page. Someone was like, oh, Jacob's going to be jealous, even though it's your club. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, Jacob had a thing for this big six point. Yeah. You like a big six? Yeah, I like a big six. It's, you know, it's like, yeah. Yeah. I was going to make an analogy, but I'm not going to make that analogy. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's cool. I mean, it's because um, a six point, you know, especially for a mature deer, um, it's there's some areas I feel like it's more common than others, but it's really not that common to get just a clean six yeah. um, as a mature deer. And that deer was that. I mean, that deer's four and a half years old. You could tell this from the trail cam videos that we had this this summer with him. Yeah. And uh, just an awesome buck. And I'm like, dude, that deer is cool as crap, man. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, He was a really good looking deer. And I think I said it would be a, kind of a game time decision for me whether or not I shoot him. Like I needed to see him in person because it also, again, it depended on how my season was going. Uh, and yeah. uh, and so he came out, and I'm like looking at him through the scope. And at first I'm like, oh, it's that big six point. And I kind of, I don't know. I was so I was like, oh, the ten's gonna come out. That I kind of overlooked him. And I was like, I was looking at him in the scope, looking at him, and he like looked in my direction. So I got like a good frontal view. I'm like, oh dang, like he's he's a nice deer, mm-hmm. like a really nice deer. And so I was like, 
oh, I, I want to shoot him. I, I think I want to shoot him. But I didn't know if that Big Ten would be with him. So yeah. Mike did say that when he saw the Big Ten, he had a six-point, like a, a big six with him. There might be more than one that lives out there, mm-hmm. but he said it was a it was an eight point, a big six, and two spikes that were with him. Mm-hmm. And so I'm looking at all these bucks in front of me. I'm like, is this the same bachelor group mm-hmm. like that that deer was with? And uh, basically, I I let them sit out there, and they were just browsing, you know. So I just I just let them sit in front of me for as long as I could because I'm like, I need to make absolutely sure that this Big Ten is not with them. And I'll also add that when each of these bucks came out in the road, they kept looking behind them. Mm-hmm. So I kind of knew that there was more deer coming. So like mm-hmm. buck number one came out, he turns, and he's like looking. I'm like, okay, more more coming. Buck number two, he's looking. Buck number three, mm-hmm. he looked. That Big Six came out, he never looked behind him. And so I kind of held on to hope. I'm like, come on, come on, come on. Like, look behind you, give me something. And uh, I don't I don't know exactly how how long they were in front of me because uh, I didn't look at my watch or anything, but it was quite a while. I mean, they were out there. I, I've I watched them for I'm gonna guess probably about ten minutes mm-hmm. because shooting light was kind of starting to fade, and I and I was like, you know what? I I had like one really good lane, and I was like, if if that six point if he starts stepping out, I've already been watching him for a while at this point. And I'm like, okay, I don't think there's any more deer with him. If that six point goes to step out of this lane, or if I run out of shooting light, I'm gonna I'm gonna kill him. So I watch him for a couple more minutes, and sure enough, he gets to the edge of my lane, and he's just about to walk out. And I was like, I'm I'm getting him. I'm gonna get him. So I flipped the safety off. And, and how much time has gone by since he first came out until you decided to pull the trigger? Somewhere between ten and fifteen minutes. Mm-hmm. So th- that's what I'm saying too. Like. These deer are feeding in those ponds. Mm-hmm. They are eating all the stuff because he was, and he didn't move very far. I mean, he'd moved like thirty yards in that entire ten or fifteen minute time span, and that's the, that's the power of of all the browse in these pines. I mm-hmm. think is it's it's holding those deer. So I was never in a rush yeah. at all. And also to preface this, um, this is an area of Alabama. They, these deer don't rut until like January. Yeah, that's why they're still bashing up. Because there's probably some yeah. people listening like, man, it's. You know, November 18th when this happens, and they're yeah. bachelored up like, what's going on? But again, this place is it's not even pre-rut right now. Like they're not even laying down really any kind of scraping activity. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe hitting some looking branches a little bit, but they're all still together for the most part. Houndstooth Game Calls is your home for turkey calls this spring. Go check them out. They got all the classic turkey calls. You know, they got the pot calls and the box calls and the mouth calls, but they also got a couple really interesting calls. One of them is called the the success call, and you just need to go look it up. It's very, it's like a box call that you can work with one hand. It's really, really cool. Sounds incredible. They also got the Spur Master, which is another very unique call that you can get some really unique, clean tones out of. They're going to help you out this turkey season. Use the promo code SOP20 to get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls. That's SOP24. Use it at checkout. It helps the podcast. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981. 
and offer you a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock choke, and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at... Uh, 30 and 50, and then I switched to the true lock and changed from 30 to 50. And the 50 yard pattern on my gun with the true lock choke is unbelievable. Like everybody's jaws were dropping. Like when I, we were out there with Mike and Sam, we were all super impressed. I mean, it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke. And Andrew, you're shooting the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. It's a great option. Same chokes I have in my shotgun. So guys, if you want to give True Lock a shot this spring, you can head over to truelockchokes.com. That's T-R-U-L-O-C-K-chokes.com. You can also use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give True Lock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun, and shoot with a more deadly pattern with True Lock. And so another thing I was wondering too is, According to guys I've talked to in the club and other guys who hunt around there, I have heard that around Christmas it kind of starts getting good. Christmas to New Year's is when the rut kind of starts going off. So we're getting pretty, we're starting to get close to where they should be breaking up. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was like, I wonder, you know, that 10 point, obviously he's bigger. I think he's more mature than any other deer out there. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I wonder if he just has higher testosterone and maybe he peeled off earlier. Because I'm pretty confident he was, I mean, he was with this six point all summer. Yeah. Every time I got him on video or on or on camera, he was with this six point. Yeah. So I'm like, maybe he split off. You know, he, he did his thing early, testosterone's rising. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyways, so that six point, you know, I, I determined that there's no more bucks with him. He starts stepping out of my lane and slight quartering two shot, put it right on that front shoulder, let her, let her eat. And so I shoot and he kind of, you know, does this little hunch thing. They all run off, and I, I don't, I hear a crash, but it's not, it's not like a just insane, like, you know, like running through the woods. It was just like, I mean, like a, like a one little crash. I'm like, got him, hundred percent, got him. And so, and then Sam texts in the group because they're hunting pretty close to me. He's like, that had to be you. I was like, yes, it was. <laughs> My shots of no boys. No, 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 no. So, so I get down out of the tree rappel out um by the way how, how you like climbing uh after doing the one stick for a bit the man now that i'm up to probably like 10 climbs or so with that one stick i'm sold 100 percent. it is so light it is so quiet even on pine trees we had a question about that a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. even on pine trees it is it is there's no comparison how much more silent you are than you are with a climber mm-hmm. no comparison uh, and then rappelling out, super easy, super fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, dude, I'm so glad I started doing it. It is, it is awesome. So I, I rappel down out of the tree, and I walk over to where I thought this buck was standing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I can't find tracks, can't find hair, can't find blood. There's, a, it's, it's extremely thick in there, and I find where there's a couple of little pine saplings that had limbs broken. And I'm like, okay, he must have cra- like went crashing through this stuff. And I knew the rough direction of where he went. And without going you know, down the rabbit hole too much, I freaking grid searched. I looked everywhere. 
through all this stuff, going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Could not find any blood, could not find any hair. I'm like, I think I freaking missed this deer. And, dude, I, I just, I was like, I was cussing up a storm. I was walking around. I was angry because I'm like, I'm, I can already hear Jacob on the podcast, like, giving me crap for this. Like, oh, we got to get you in the range. We got to get over your little. Blah, blah. So, you know, I'm so, I'm so. You're so mad. right, too. I would have given you oh, so much crap. I was so freaking mad, dude. I was like, how did I miss that? He, he was like 60 yards, standing still, rock solid rest. Yeah. Like, everything was perfect. And I'm just like, you idiot. Dude, I was so mad at myself. So, uh, the club president calls me. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of people out there hunting. He's already back at the pinout shed. They all get back pretty quick because nope. you know they hunt. Dude, they don't like they don't like using headlamps or no. They, I mean, dude, they're back at that pinout shed like that yeah. after dark. And so he calls me. I mean, it had just gotten dark too. I mean, it was still. I didn't use a flashlight getting down or walking over there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how early like or how quick I was able to get down and go. Mm-hmm. And. He's like, hey, are are you still out here? Like, you're you're still pinned out or whatever. I was like, yeah, I'm over here. I'm I'm looking. I I just shot at a buck, but I don't think I hit him. And he's like, okay, well, do you want me to come help? And I was like, no, I I got it. I'm just I don't I don't think I got him. I might have to come back out in the morning just to be sure uh, when I have better light. And he's like, okay, man. Well, let me know. And and so we got off the phone. Uh, Sam and Mike are on their way up to come and help me look with see, their see, flashlights. See, he wanted to know where the deer was. <laughs> he said, like, you want me to come out and help you? Nah, I said, man. I said, no, it's all right. Nah. And uh, and so I'm, I'm looking around, can't find anything. And uh, basically, I'm like, okay, I've, I've lost all hope. I'm, I'm mad at myself. I called Tiffany. I'm like, I missed a book. <laughs> I was upset. I'm like, I'm just going to do one more like big loop. Like, basically, the direction he ran, I'm, like, kind of cutting across the direction he ran at different distances mm-hmm. trying to trying to get blood. Because I'm shooting that Hornady Precision Hunter, the ELDX, and every deer I've shot with those, it has been a bloodbath. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are really good bullets. Very gruesome bullets to shoot. I mean, mm-hmm. you get a excellent blood trail. And, uh, like, I shot a deer, oh, I guess it was, like, four years ago now. There's a pine tree behind this this buck that I shot. Oh yeah, yeah. And I this pine tree was 11 yards behind where he was, and there was pieces of lung stuck to the pine tree. Yeah. I mean, it's just devastating. But and also, you shot that deer broadside at light. So that's where I'm getting to. So the, yeah, this one was slightly. I, this is what happened. So I I do one last loop, and I'm walking, and I, I look up, and there's the deer. There he is, and he's like burrowed. I'll put a picture on the YouTube video. He's like burrowed into the brush, and his head's up. He looks like he's bedded and alive, and so it freaked me out. Like I racked one when I was walking up to him because I'm like, I didn't know if he was about to get up and run off, and I get up there, and he's just, he's dead, mm-hmm. you know, just sitting weird. Like what I heard was he basically crashed into a bunch of vines, mm-hmm. and the vines just caught him, Yeah, and, he, you know, he died on his feet, and uh, I start trying to backtrack him. Absolutely no blood whatsoever period mm-hmm. no blood trail and i'm like man what happened like where did i hit this thing and um sam and everybody sam mike and blakely get out there and we drag him out of the little vine hell hole that he was in and i flip him over and look at him and i hit him i mean right where i was aiming right on that front shoulder but what i think happened is and i found the bullet and everything i just i hit oh, the bone you found the bullet yeah i got the bullet oh cool so i hit the bone um you know that the the scapula has that little ridge on it? Mm-hmm. So I center punched that sucker right on that ridge. Mm-hmm. So it had to go through a decent bit of bone. 
And of course, the entry hole is the size of the bullet. Yeah. And the the bullet was stuck in the offside fur, like mm-hmm. on his hide on the opposite side. So no exit, absolutely no blood whatsoever. Period. But he, I mean, he was dead. He died on his feet. He was dead in like two seconds, literally. How, how far did he go? He went uh, about forty-five yards. Yeah. And just piled up into that stuff. But it was so thick, it was so hard to find him. Mm-hmm. You know that it, you know he was just. I just got lucky and saw him that night. I'm glad I didn't leave him out there overnight because we got so many coyotes out there. Um, and like I said, he died on his feet. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I was like, I, I texted Sam and everyone. I was like, I got him because they all thought I missed him too. At this point, everyone's depressed. <laughs> so I was like, I, got, I was about to call Sam and Mike and be like, when I shot, did it sound like I hit him? Which you want to explain that about a, like a gunshot? You can tell when someone hits a deer. Yeah, but you have to. I mean. I mean, with them being newer hunters, I don't know if they would know what that sound sounds like. But, yeah, yeah when you hear a gunshot, I mean, it can be like half a mile away, and you can tell if they <laughs> if they hit it. Because, yeah, you hear the boom. Yep. And it's like that poop, that, like that first sound Ba-boom. is like the bullet coming out and then like the bullet impacting. And if, like, if you don't hit anything, if you don't hit anything solid, it just sounds like a loud crack. It's like, pow. Yeah, like if you're at a gun range or, or, or you're near a gun range, like off through the woods, and what people shoot, like the the sound it makes when people are shooting there. Yeah, it's just you know the report of the rifle. It's just loud, loud crack. Loud crack. Yeah, there's no thud of the bullet hitting. But like if you're hunting, and you you can hear it easily as well with a muzzler. Like God, a muzzler because it's it's like delayed. Yeah, it's like boom boom, and you're yep. like okay, yeah, definitely hit it. Yeah, and uh, and a lot of times if you're shooting one, especially like if he's within like 150 yards, if you shoot a deer. A lot of times, if, if you're listening, a lot of times, then if you're like focused and not like blacked out, uh, as in like too much in the kill mode, <laughs> you can hear it yourself. Like, because yeah. I've heard it many a times, like just with my own ears, like when I've shot, like, oh yeah, I hit him good. Like, I didn't even have to see the, where the bullet hit. I definitely yeah. hit him good. Boom. And um, so, anyways, because like when we we're in Arkansas, like that's how we could tell, like, oh, that guy shot one. He hit mm-hmm. one. Oh, that dude definitely missed. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, he just hear a loud crack. Um, but uh, but anyway, so yeah, just the, the report of the rifle, and you can hear that bolt make impact at a, at a pretty good distance. I mean, I've easily a half a mile. You can hear it. maybe if it's quiet and like you know, n- there's no cloud cover or anything like that, and the the sound can carry. You can hear it a little bit further than uh, that far, in my, in my opinion. But. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so like drug him out, took a look at him. He's a he's a really good buck, dude. Mm-hmm. He's a he's a really good deer. So I'm I'm super happy with him. I'm glad I got him. So now I got to be a little bit more picky because. I got two more buck tags here in Alabama, and we got some really good hunts coming up mm-hmm. that I that I'm gonna have to have like way higher standards <laughs> than I normally do. Mm-hmm. Like I'm only uh, at the club th- that eight point that I'm talking about. Again, he would be kind of a game time decision. Uh, seeing him, I mean, he's a really good deer, so he'd be a very not, not very, the one the one that you saw or no, the no, other no, one no, on no, camera. No. There's there's a different one on camera, yeah. different one than what I saw. The one I saw is like pretty young. I don't I don't want to shoot him. Um, and he and he's just. He's not big enough this year to like really get me going, so um, so I'm not going to shoot that. But there's a different one I got on camera, mm-hmm. who is a really nice deer that I would probably burn a tag on. But I really want to kill that ten point man. I really think we can kill him this year. Um, might be me, might be Mike, might be my buddy Cody who's also hunting him. Mm-hmm. But I think that ten point's going to get killed this year by yeah. somebody. Uh, he's just he's just too patternable, I think. Yep. So, anyways, um, yeah, got the deer out, and uh, Mike and Sam 
and Blakely were at the uh, here comes the drama guys. They're at the they're at the pinout board, and everybody's hanging out there, you know, after after dark. And there's like a couple guys there, and there's really everybody in the club is very cool. Like I don't want to make it sound like everyone's like you know shady or whatever. There is one guy in particular who I'm. He's an interesting character. Mm-hmm. Okay, I just I don't know much about him. I'm just like hey, I need to watch out for that guy. Mm-hmm. And. uh yeah, Mike said because I'd already told Trevor I shot at a buck, and Mike was there, and they were like, "Yeah, do you put your phone on Do Not Disturb?" Oh, it's yeah. the, it's the computer that made the sound. Uh, anyways, um, dang, I lost my train of thought. You interrupted me. Get, get back. The, uh, All right, got to the, yeah, got got back there, and they were like, "Hey, uh, Andrew said he shot at a buck. Mm-hmm. What was it?" And Mike was like, "I think it was a uh, like just a really big six point." And one of those guys said something under his breath, like, "Yeah, I, I worked hard for him, or something, or something like that." It was, it was, the, and it was the guy that I'm like, yeah, "I got to watch out for that guy." He made some kind of comment under his breath, you know, like that, and I was yeah. like, "Okay, gotcha, 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 gotcha," because he's in, he he hunts the same area mm-hmm. of the club. Nobody else really hunts this part of the club, but they do, and I think they do their own stuff down there. I think they like kind of go put in their own little hidey hole food plot type type things. And I think that he thinks I was hunting one of those, which is fine. He can think that. And if he asked me, I might not even deny it. I wasn't. But, you know, I don't want him to know where I was. Yeah. You know, you get what I'm saying? So, anyways, yeah, he made he made some little comments. So, there might be a little drama brewing there. Uh, and this is the same guy who, when I shot when I shot that doe on opening day, mm-hmm. ran into him at the, uh, at the pinout board. And I was like, yeah, I got a doe this morning. Did you see anything? And uh, he seemed upset that I shot a doe. And he was just talking about how, like, our deer are hurting or, you know, whatever. And he's like, that's going to be your only one, right? And I'm like, maybe. It depends on if I feel like shooting another one. Yeah, like, I'm not going to sit here and let a grown man talk to me like that. Well, there's and there's no there's no limit on how many y'all can kill out there. Like, do y'all have a set, like, like is it three does or something like that on the club? Or I don't think so. Yeah. Because no, so, I, so, so I bring it up because some hunting clubs will set, like, you know, if there's enough members and they're killing enough does, like, hey, you know, you get three doe tags per membership. And, you know, in the state of Alabama, you I mean, you can kill a doe a day the whole season unless you're in, like, a couple different parts of the state on some public land where they have, like, you can't kill a doe outside, like, a certain window of time. Yeah. Um, but some clubs, especially if they have, like, maybe a biologist or something there, they'll be like, hey, you know, you shoot, you know, four per membership, five per membership, or some, like, you got so many deer, y'all need to kill 70 does this year. Yeah, definitely. And uh, just to give a little bit further backstory, this is the same guy who on the work day, he was talking about finding this trail camera. He's like, yeah, I didn't know whose camera this was. I, I took it off the tree. I, I was messing with it, you know, looking at this or that. And he's describing where this camera was. I'm like, that was my camera. And he's like, oh, well, I thought it was mine. I didn't know if I'd left one over there. I'm like, yeah, okay. Got it. Got it. And that that's what kind of tipped me off because I'm cool with everybody, man. Like, I don't care. But when you like are openly talking about you know messing with somebody else's camera and this mm-hmm. and that, it's a little awkward, you know, a little mm-hmm. weird. So, anyways, so uh, yeah, we'll see what happens there with with that. I'm fully intending on killing another buck out there. So I don't know. I don't think I'm going to get like voted out or anything. Like for real. Like we're kind of joking about that. I don't think I will, but you know, we'll see. Voted off the island. And voted off the funny the island. thing is, Andrew gets kicked out. I'm taking his membership. <laughs> they don't know me. Then Andrew's gonna come as a guest, and the guys will be like, "What the hell are you doing back?" Yeah, for real. Well, I gotta like every. I'm really cool with everybody in the club, and like our club president, really, really nice guy. Mm-hmm. Really like him. 
there's just that one guy who's like, I don't know, he might cause a little bit of drama, especially now that I know that he just like messes with people's cameras out of the woods. So yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. But also, this is a huge advantage. Uh, talking about uh, kind of hunting uh, incognito, a huge advantage of hunting mobile and, and even like even not even using a climber because a climber, if you use a climbing tree stand, if you climb a tree a couple times, you can see on that tree if a climber's been hundred percent. I mean, really, if you climb it one time, you can look at that tree and be like, okay, there's been a climber up in that tree. Yeah. If you're using a saddle, or using like lock on sticks or whatever, um, and you're taking out every time you hunt, people don't know where you've been. They can't look up in the tree unless you were cutting limbs and stuff. They can't tell that someone climbed that tree. And that and that is another factor that matters to me. And that's another thing with the one sticking. Uh, not that I don't think anybody would find these trees just because of how thick those pines are, but if they did, I, I don't, you're exactly right. I don't want other people seeing exactly where I'm hunting. Yeah. Uh, just because, you know, you work hard for those spots. Well, it's, it's another tip just for listeners that are in hunting clubs. Like, if, if you're not currently using some kind of, like, mobile hunting system, like, again, we use saddles, but, you know, if you're not using a lock-on and sticks or a saddle and sticks or something yeah. like that, do so. And, again, get in the habit of, like, when you hunt, you carry everything with you on your backpack, you hang it when you hunt. When you're done hunting, you pull everything out. So there's no evidence you've been there. So, you know, mm-hmm. you know, Jim Bob comes walking through the woods. He can't look at that tree and be like, oh, well, someone's hunted that tree before. You know, I wonder who that was. Uh, or maybe, yeah. it's, you know, they you know they find evidence like, oh, man, I'm going to come hunt this spot now. Um, so mm-hmm. that, that's just a huge advantage, I feel like, yeah. especially in a club, is like, you know, hunting like that. Just because you, I feel like you can, unless someone physically sees you, um, you know, they don't know exactly where you've been because they can't tell the tree you climb because you're not leaving a stand hung up the whole time. Yeah, and I was explaining it to Sam because uh, Sam, he's never, I don't think he's ever been in a hunting club or anything either. Mm-hmm. And I, I grew up in hunting clubs. So, uh, like, we hunted public land when I was a kid, but we were first and foremost in hunting clubs, and then I got into public land as a teenager. Um, growing up as a kid, time and time and time and time again, there was club drama where someone got a big deer on camera, they said too much at the pinout board, and someone goes in there and shoots it. Mm-hmm. Now, that's perfectly fine that that person went in there and shot it. But, you know, there's like an unspoken code of ethics mm-hmm. where it's kind, of, it's kind of on both of you. You know, it's like, hey, don't go telling everybody exactly where this huge buck is because, you know, they might go in there and shoot it. Yeah. And... Especially, it, it creates an awkward situation because it's like, okay, uh, let's say that I've already been scouting an area. I haven't really said much about it. And then you come to the clubhouse and you're kind of running your mouth about how you got this huge buck on camera over by so-and-so. Mm-hmm. And it's already an area that I've, I'm familiar with and I've been hunting. So now if I go in there and kill that buck, you're going to be mad at me because you're going to think that I went in there because of what you said. Yeah. So, or maybe you just, maybe I just went in there. And killed it because you said too much. Yeah. You know, like it creates awkward situations. So it's like everyone just kind of hold your cards close. Be, be like a good turkey hunter. A good turkey hunter doesn't say anything. So you hear anything, yeah. nah, man. You kill any birds, nah, and you drop the tailgate and there's a turkey laying there in the back of the tailgate. Yeah, I mean, look, it's 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 a it's a dance, bro. You got to you gotta know when to not pry. I mean, it's fine be like, hey, did you see anything today? And just have a normal conversation, but don't pry. Yeah. Don't say too much. Uh, everyone just... Just chill. Do just your, calm do, down a little bit. Yeah, do your own thing. Yeah, everyone do your own thing. Because, man, it just happened. There was a one club when I was a kid, there was like a big rift in the club because that exact thing happened. Someone got like a, a big, like huge, thick nine-point on camera. They were talking about where it was, and they were like, I can't even remember. It was something like they couldn't hunt it that next weekend. They're like, man, I think I could really kill that deer. And one of the other guys who was at the clubhouse who he was talking to went in there when the weekend that he said he couldn't be there and killed it. 
and they got a big fight about it, and it was a bunch of club drama. And I've just like people who don't who haven't been in hunting clubs in the past, or, or maybe like maybe they're in an area where hunting clubs aren't as big of a thing. Mm-hmm. It sounds weird to people, but that stuff does happen. You know, it's just it, that stuff happens. Yeah, and there's a little bit of club drama and. It is what it is. So you just got to navigate it the best you can, and and that's kind of my rule of thumb is like, I'm not gonna go and run my mouth about what I'm seeing outside of you know if someone asks me like, hey, did you see anything? I'll be like, yeah, I saw a couple deer today, but I'm if I see, if I see the big ten point, walking through whatever part of the property, I might be like, dude, I saw that big ten cross, blah blah blah. Go across that food plot. Well, unless you intentionally, now the other way, you intentionally say that, but in a completely <laughs> different area. And you're like, hey, especially if you're hunting up, like, you know, you want a wolf pack, but you don't have anybody else to go out there with you. Like, <laughs> man, I saw a big deer, man. He was, you know, way over like, here you know on the side. food plot over by the highway? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> and the next thing you know, you got three guys hunting over there intentionally, like, way upwind of where this deer is coming through anyways. Yeah. And then uh, they bump them to you. So, you know, you know, there's there's different ways to go about doing it. Yeah, definitely. So uh, so off to a hot start yeah. for sure this year. Got two more buck tags to fill. Yeah, man. see, I killed one in Alabama. I was, I was, you know, high on the hog, you know, feeling great before we go to Arkansas. I'm like, man, I'm going to kill two bucks in Arkansas. I didn't kill a single deer in Arkansas. Um, but uh, you'll hear more about that on Monday. But um, – and I'm like, okay, well, you know, and, and Mike was telling me, he said, man, you, Mike Pike, he's like, man, you, you up on Andrew. Andrew's going to have to catch up. And literally in six days, <laughs> Andrew caught up. You three up me, freaking, <laughs> you know, killed three bucks in six days. And I'm like, holy crap, dude. And I'm like, okay. It's been a good, hey, I'll tell you what, yeah. we're going to have to cover this on a different outro, maybe next week's. Uh, but I just want to touch on it briefly here before we do the Q&A. But my my whole thing this year, I think this is this is why I've been having such a good year. Um, because it really started in Georgia, even though I only got to hunt like twice in Georgia, mm-hmm. I, I, I had deer in bow range both times. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't hunt again until opening day of Alabama, mm-hmm. killed one. And then after I've, I've been on deer every single hunt mm-hmm. this entire season, um, minus maybe one or two, but I think I, I think, I don't think I've been in the stand and not seen a deer this season so far. Mm-hmm. And it, this has been a year where I've hunted significantly less than usual, mm-hmm. but my percentages are going way up. Yeah. I'm being really efficient. And I think part of it is before I went into this season, I wanted, which people probably heard this kind of come through in our discussions. I just wanted to not overthink stuff. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to go out there and, and not give myself too many options, not overthink what I'm doing and just be really uh, like decisive and intentional about what I'm doing. Because I feel like, especially over these last couple of years, I'm like, I feel like I know what to do. But I'm like, oh, I'm thinking myself out of deer. I'm making it more complicated than it should be. And so I've been really conscious about not doing that this season. And I think that's one of the reasons. Now, I could go and do a complete struggle fest for the rest of the year. I don't know. But so far, it's working really, really good. Yeah. Um, and we'll, we'll have to touch on that more on a on a later, like maybe next week's outro. Um, anyways, we got some Q&As yeah. to get to. So. Yep. So appreciate everybody, that's, again, that's been submitting Q&As. Again, you can do it. There's a link down in the show notes of the podcast, also on the YouTube channel as well. On this episode, you can go down to the uh, description down below, and there's a link on there for listener Q&As. And, again, it allows you guys to be able to write in, write in your questions. We can answer them on the podcast. If we don't have the answer, we'll try to get a past guest um, to be able to answer some of those. Um, so yeah, we've had a lot of really good ones come in. Plus we've had a lot of great listener success stories. Y'all been hammering yeah, the bucks, hammering the deer, uh, so far this season, especially in November. So, uh, love seeing those listener success stories come in. And by the way, again, you can submit those again, down the show notes, down the show description below on both YouTube and on the audio version of the podcast. 
Um, there's a link in there where if you kill a deer, it doesn't. It can be a buck, it can be a doe, it can be a, uh, your first buck. It can be. It doesn't matter. There's no criteria for it. But if you kind of implement something that you kind of heard about the show or have a cool story you want to tell, you can go right in, submit some photos, and we'll share that with the audience. So those have been awesome coming through. All right, this one is from Kevin Akins. I think is how you say your last name. Sorry, Kevin. Uh, from Georgia. He said, in my area of Georgia, the rut occurs November 3rd through November 9th. How long do bucks act, quote-unquote, rut-like? I mean, I know it doesn't end exactly on the 9th, but these bucks are still full of testosterone. When do their testosterone levels uh, level out again, and they move back to regular patterns a week, a day, etc.? Um, I'm kind of curious about the, the dates of that rut. Like, where are you getting those hard dates? Like, is that something the state published? Like, peak rut dates are mm-hmm. November 3rd through 9th? Because a lot of times, it, like, uh, Alabama puts out a rut map like that where it'll say, like, okay, the the peak rut for this day is, or this area is, like, December, uh, like, 10th through the 15th or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to look at how they're defining that because the rut's a bell curve. Mm-hmm. So the the upswing of the bell curve is really good. The very top of the bell curve is not that great, and the downswing of the bell curve is really good. What do you mean by really good and not great? So that that bell curve would be your does coming into heat, does coming into estrus and becoming receptive. So at the beginning, you don't have that many, and that's really good in our experience, really good. Because? Because the bucks only have few a few options. Let's say that there's 30 does and two of them are in heat. Well, now all of a sudden, every single buck in there has got to compete for those two does. And they're going to be running and fighting and going crazy. Now, when you get to the top of that bell curve, and all of a sudden, 23 of the 30 does are in heat, those bucks, they don't, they're not having to look as hard. They're going to be with the does. Uh, and so it kind of that's what we experienced in Arkansas, we think. So I, I bring that up to say that a lot of times when the states put out that rut map, they're talking about peak breeding. So, like, if, if it, if it, which I don't know if this is the case, but just as an example for the listeners, if you're saying it's November 3rd through the 9th, if they're saying peak breeding is November 3rd through the 9th, then I want to be hunting from like October 25th to November 3rd and, you know, on the backswing of that too, like around the like November 10th through the 15th. Mm-hmm. That's when I typically have the best luck. But any of that can be good. And like what I like to do personally is basically if you take your, your peak breeding dates, again, let's say – Let's say it's like November 8th and 9th are your peak breeding dates. I'll take 14 days on both sides of that, and all that's going to be good. Mm-hmm. Um, and poten- potentially even longer than that as well. So to answer his question, though, how long will they kind of stay in a rut activity? Like you said, that bottom, the back side of the bell curve, so that's the peak date to say, again, the 3rd through the 9th is the highest spot. As it starts sloping down, there's still going to be other does coming in heat, but it's a lot less does. So you're going to have a lot more competition, a lot more buck movement because they have to travel further to find those deer. But so, you know, all the way through, you know, pretty much when the time this podcast comes out, still going to be really good. But also, if you're in an area with fairly high deer numbers, th- there are there are people, there are hunters and biologists, some agree that there's a secondary rut where not all the does get bred, and they, it's the ones that some of them come back in the heat and they get try to get bred again. 28 days later. And then other people say, absolutely, that's not the case. I think in areas with very high deer numbers, we have very skewed deer numbers mm-hmm. where you have way less bucks to as many does um which uh, places that I think about like when we had um uh mark um haslam haslam on from south carolina well, he's talking about it's like 50 to 60 deer per square mile it's a lot of does a lot more does than bucks 
in an area like that, you're gonna you're going to have some kind of secondary rate. Like not all those does are gonna be able to be bred by you know all those bucks uh, or by the limited amount of bucks. So you know you start talking about going into late November, early December, you're probably gonna see if again if you're in an area with high deer numbers. Um, you're probably going to see some more rutting activity, you know, bucks chasing does, uh, bucks really cruising, bucks being very responsive to calling. It kind of goes back to, uh, oh, past guest, Richard fought. He's been in the episode, uh, I think it was episode 390, calling deer the right way. Um, he talks about, he loves calling that pre-rut time period. And then that later part of the rut into like a post-rut secondary yeah. rut time frame. And that's when those deer are most responsive because those bucks are, con- even if they all, all the does get bred, the bucks are still looking for does. Yes. Even if they've all been bred, they're still going to be looking for does. So in that case, you know, locating yourself in and around doe bedding, but also implementing calling, especially as we're getting later into November, implementing more uh, grunting, implementing uh, rattling, all that kind of stuff, and setting up in spots that bucks are already using based off how you know that property, um, you you probably will have some kind of success implementing that and and doing that. Um, And again, like Richard's talking about, like, that and then also I want to say it might be Clifton Denny or there's another gentleman we've talked to about calling that really likes that post rut or like later part of the rut going to the secondary rut time period for calling. Yeah. Like the bucks seem to be way more responsive because again, especially the mature bucks that have really high testosterone, they're still looking for those next couple does to come in or even yearling does, you know, fawns from that year. They're now able to be bred, um, which again happens typically after the, the major part of the rut. Um, they're still looking for those deer and they could be extremely callable at that time of year. Yeah. Um, so don't lose all hope. If, if you're in one of these States that again, has that more traditional November rut, you could still find rutting activity after the fact. And also go back to, uh, episode we did earlier this fall with, uh, Drew Atkinson from Arkansas yep. talking about scraping or like scrape activity. One of his, his two best times to kill bucks on the scrapes is super early in the season, September, early October, mid October. And then they rut there late October into November in his part of Arkansas. And then he loves hunting scrapes with a bow going into December and early January, uh, hopefully yeah. before, you know, bucks shed their antlers. And because they're still checking, they're still curious. And, and also he talked about they're extremely, uh, they, they respond very well, at least in his area, if you implement doe estrus urine in one of these scrapes that these bucks are already kind of been, have been using yep. because it implement it's, it's acting like there's another doe coming into heat. And then that buck's coming in the area trying to look for that doe yeah. and give you an opportunity to hopefully be able to kill that deer. Yeah. hundred percent. Definitely agree. Um, dude, two podcasts in a row, you wore the same freaking thing as me. You're dude, you're wearing the, it's the Southern outdoorsman uniform. That golly dude. Can't have nothing. It looks weird. Should have changed. Uh, hey, by the way, this hoodie right here, this is that, uh, that furnace hoodie. Yeah. First light. light yeah. Give, give them a little bit of love. You can get a uh, 50% off on their black Friday sale right now, but this thing right here. So I got one, I got this one and I got the camo one mm-hmm. for hunting. So this is a game changer. I'm just bringing this up as like a tip to everyone. Cause I, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there like me. I I've had to ask Ford from first light. Mm-hmm literally like four different times for net gators because I immediately lose them. Yep. And I got to have a net gator when it's like really cold. I got to have a net gator yeah. and I have literally lost four of them in a row and mm-hmm. I feel stupid having to be like, Hey man, can I get another net gator? And, uh, and this one's got these little silent snaps on your neck. And so it kind of like right here, you can just button that sucker up and it's like a hoodie and it acts as a net gator. And I've been using it as, since we had mm-hmm. these cold fronts. It is awesome. Yeah. 
So now I don't have to. I can't lose this. I yep. mean, I might lose this hoodie, but well, well, I'm a lot less likely to move lose this hoodie than I am a Netgator. Well, yeah, definitely shout out because yeah, First Light has all their stuff on sale. Uh, all the Whitetail gear is up to forty percent off, but they have up other fifty percent off, right? Forty percent off, and then they have other gear up to fifty percent off. Uh, some more of the base layers they don't, don't necessarily classify under the Whitetail lineup, but uh, a ton of different pieces, especially like the Solitude kit, I think is forty percent off right now. Yeah, which oh is, yeah, which is insane because yeah. that that's like especially as we start getting these colder days, windproof. That, yeah. Windproof uh, bibs and jacket, it's awesome. But uh, but you know the furnace hoodie, I, I this is the one I wear like every day. Yeah. And then I have like one I actually will hunt in. Yeah, me um, too. Me but too. yeah, they're super. Yeah, cool. they're they're awesome. Yeah, that's kind of the downside of like getting. We get like a lot of t-shirts from our partners and stuff mm-hmm. like First Light and Onyx and all these people, and it's awesome because I love t-shirts. Mm-hmm. But it's also kind of sucks because they send us the same stuff. So like all the freaking time we show up somewhere and we're wearing the exact same thing. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like one of us has to go change. I'll just go shirtless. I'll, I'll pull a Burt Kreischer and just go shirtless <laughs> on the podcast. All right, next question. So saddle for rifle hunts. This one it didn't save like the name or anything, but I remember the question, and I just have to go dig it back up. But basically, he was asking. Uh, he feels like um, saddle hunting is more of like a bow hunting thing, mm-hmm. and he's not super confident rifle hunting out of it. <laughs> So, nah. so rifle hunting in a saddle. So I, I had this concern uh, last year because, like, I liked bow hunting out of it more. Didn't wasn't super confident just because of how, like, you got to get your saddle to be comfortable for you. And there's a lot of different ways you can do that, especially if you have an adjustable bridge. Uh, and so you can like set your tether height. And basically, what I was doing is I was setting my tether a little bit lower, and uh, I was having my bridge a little bit shorter. And it was comfortable, especially because I'm, I'm more of a leaner than a sitter. So it, it was comfortable for me, but just because of how the ropes were like right there in your face, it was hard for me to get a really good rest on the tree. And so then you told me how you do it, which is essentially you're setting your tether higher and you're, you have a longer bridge. And it, I guess it gets you away from the tree a little bit more. And it lets you, like in my case the other day, you can kind of shift your weight a little bit and you can grab the tree and like rest like that, which is extremely solid. I'm very confident shooting a long distance that way. Or you can even rest on the bridge itself, which is I think what you like that's, to do. Yeah, that's all it is. No, and see, I never adjust the tether height. So it's always when I stand on my platform, it's always like eye level with me. But during the gun hunt specifically, I will, you know, lengthen that bridge up, not all the way, but I'll have like on uh, my Phantom saddle, I'll lengthen it and I'll have like four to five inches mm-hmm. of tag in left. And the way I do it, it is so rock solid. Like it, the only hard part about hunting out of a saddle, and this is the same thing if you're in a lock on or a climber. I mean, a climber, I guess you can kind of grab a tree or stuff, but like if a deer comes, the hardest shot with a rifle, and the same thing with a bow, I mean, you got to move around and spin around a little bit. But it's like if that deer is not even directly behind you, is not bad. But if it's like if you're four a right, or five o'clock, if yeah, if you're a right handed shooter, if it's like between three o'clock, I mean, yeah, four and five o'clock is like your hardest position to try to get spun around and get a stable shot. Yeah. Uh, especially at a distance. Now, if it's like under 100 yards, I, I feel comfortable personally uh, just because of shooting free handing a shot yeah. um, in a situation like that. But, uh, but no, so I, I've run my tether a little bit longer and I have that, that tether sits again. This is for you two people out there. That tether sits almost like eye level with me when I'm kind of leaning back. And I'll take my, and we're going to do a video on this. Again, I'm a right-handed shooter, so my left arm, my left hand is my support arm that holds the forehand of a rifle. I will tuck my elbow, like, just inside that bridge, 
So the bridge will come just on the outside of my elbow, and then I lay my forearm down over the bridge. So the bridge goes underneath or around my elbow, and then sits underneath my left forearm. And, like, you can, like, push out into it. Mm-hmm. And, dude, it is rock solid. Yeah. Like, it is. I never use the tree because I'm always leaning far enough away th- from the tree. I never use the tree. And then also, if you need even more stability, you can drop. If you use knee pads, you don't have to have knee pads. But if you have knee pads, you can drop. Like, I'll drop. If like the deer is off my left side, I'll drop my right knee into the tree and do the same thing where my elbow is just inside the bridge. My, my left form is just on top of the bridge, pressing down top of the bridge. And then I'll tuck that right knee into the tree. And then you are, I'm talking rock solid. And then, and see, I love shooting the weak side to the tree because the weak side, that's for a strong side. So that's off the left side of the tree as a right-handed shooter. Be opposite if you're a left-handed shooter. And I can shoot like that all the way to probably about 10 o'clock. If it gets to nine o'clock, all I do is just, slightly move on my platform a little bit to the right and I do the same thing. Yeah. And I can do that all the way back to about seven o'clock position. Mm-hmm. If it's on the weak side, if it's on the right hand side of the tree as a right handed shooter, it is super easy. Instead of again have my arm tucked like I do on my left side, I bring my arm over and the gun over and all I'm doing is sitting my left forearm on the right hand side of the bridge, pressing down to the bridge. Then I can shoot that really comfortable from, you know, twelve o'clock position all the way over to the probably two o'clock position. Yeah. When you start getting to 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock, you just have to shift over to the left side of your platform so you can do the exact same movement to the you know be able to shoot off your right-hand shoulder. Yeah. Um, but it's it's very, very easy. It's extremely sturdy. Um, I mean, like I've shot deer. The first I've, I've shot and ki- like shot and killed a deer out of the saddle is like 220 yards. One shot done. Like n- mm-hmm. no problem ask. Um, it's just you've got to like that bridge is what you're using to support it. Like you can lean up against the tree, but my thing is I feel more comfortable if I'm like kind of standing upright or maybe like leaned over a little bit and just have all my weight from that gun pressed into that bridge. And it's I mean rock solid. Yeah, that makes sense. I haven't tried the thing tucking my arm into the bridge like you're talking about. So what I'd been doing is what you're saying for a weak side shot. I'll have. I'll have like my forearm out and I'm resting like my forearm is on the bridge and I'm resting the gun like over that. Yeah. And that that's fine for a closer shot. I don't like it for longer just because there's a little bit of play cuz I mean it's a rope with tension on it. Mm-hmm. So there's just like a little bit of play in it and also like if you if your if your butt moves at all, like your entire setup is moving. So I like to get on the tree because that tree is 100% solid stationary. So it doesn't matter, like, if I'm, like, adjusting my hips or whatever, like, the gun's not moving. Whereas if if I'm on that, if I'm rested solely on the bridge, if I move at all, like, that whole scope is moving. So, but, so this is another thing. I lean when I'm shooting like that. But if you want more solid where you're not moving, you tuck that right leg, that right knee into the tree, and you're it's not swaying at all. And we're gonna do a whole video on this because at our at the family farm at Anthony's farm, we can shoot up to 400 yards and still targets. And there's a tree we can climb, and yeah. we're gonna do it showing how to shoot that far. I mean, maybe you're not gonna actually shoot a deer that far, but just showing like how it can work. Yeah. Um. Because again, I feel extremely confident shooting a rifle out of a saddle. Like it, it is night and day different. Like, um. And like it, when I used to hunt with a little lock-on stand. And I'd always put my backpack, and this is also for climber guys too, because a lot of guys with climbers they try to shoot off the front rail. And if you're in like a summit climber, sometimes that works, but sometimes it doesn't. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't, you know, depending on like the angle, high high up a tree you climb. But what I would always do in a tree stand is I'd put my backpack in my lap, and I would shoot off my backpack. Yeah. Where like again, like the closer you have that gun to you, and you're not fully extended out, the more stability, more stability you're gonna have. Mm-hmm. And you tuck that right. If you're shooting in a, in a climber or a lock on, you put that backpack in your lap, and you're able to tuck your tuck your elbow. And then, again, this only works though if that deer is like from like 
nearly 11 o'clock to 1 o'clock. If it's way over to the left or right-hand side, you can kind of still use the backpack, but you're only going to have stability on your trigger arm, your back right elbow, or your right elbow kind of on the backpack, and your left hand's going to have the free hand, so it's still mm-hmm. not as stable. Um, but, yeah, I mean, dude, there, there's, if you feel not confident shooting out of a saddle, you need to go someplace where you can actually practice shooting out of the saddle because I promise you, once you kind of do some of the things that we're talking about, you will feel extremely confident shooting a, a firearm out of a saddle. Yeah, I'm eager to try the uh, the elbow and the bridge thing that you're talking about. Um, all right, this one's from Riley Blackwell. He says, hey guys, for years I hunted on private land in Pickens County, Alabama. A buddy and I are going to start venturing into public lands this year. What are your best tips for scouting public land and making a transition from private to public land hunters? Um, what, what do you have for this one? This is an interesting question. Um, I mean, a lot of the stuff that you're probably doing in your hunting club can work on private yeah. to, to me, especially in Alabama. Like a lot of the stuff trans, I mean, if you're hunting, if your hunting club or your lease is a lot of like timber managed property, like a lot of ponds, clear cuts, you can take a lot of what you're doing there and apply it to hunting public. It's just, you may have to walk a little bit further. You don't always, but you may have to walk yeah. a little bit further, um, just to kind of get away from where other guys may be trying to hunting at. Um, but to me, a lot of that transitions. Now, the problem is if you're coming from a private land property where you only hunted food plots and bait piles, it's not a rude awakening, but you're going to have to do things a little bit differently on, on a piece of public land. Like you could have success killing a deer on, on uh, food plots. Michael Perry was telling us yeah. there's a guy he knows that killed a big deer. 140 inch buck. Yeah. And on a it, public land food plot. And Jamie McKay told me the same thing. Yeah. Like, you know, there's like, there, you can kill big deer on public land food plots, but it has to be in the right situation, the right timing, and all that kind of play as a factor. Um, but a, a lot of it is like, you just got to kind of take, like, what is, like, if you've had success on a hunting club, especially outside of, you know, killing deer just on food plots or killing deer just over bait piles, yeah. start there and apply that to the public. Like, find. Like, don't go hunt a piece of public land that looks nothing like the private you've hunted. Like, if you're used to hunting timber, like, rolling hill country with clear cuts and all that kind of stuff, go find a public that looks like that and hunt exactly the same and then kind of evolve from there. Because you're going to quickly realize, is it working or is it not working? Mm -hmm. And if you do that, you'll have a lot more success than just trying to, like, do something completely different. Like, if you're coming from, you know, hunting flat land, private land, and you're going to go hunt real steep hill country or more mountainous public, that's going to be a lot harder for you to transition versus trying to find something that looks similar to how, you know, your private property is set up. Yeah, I would. The only thing I would add to that is I would just, if you're curious about what, where to start, like what to actually look for, I'd look for habitat edges and compounding features. Those two things. Go listen to episode 141 with Josh Driver, or the new one, or the new one. I have no idea what episode. It's five. five I think it's five ten. Five. No, I think Rick Cope is five ten. Five twelve. Yeah, five twelve. Yeah, that's right. Sorry. Um, go listen to five twelve, the Josh Driver episode. So, that's a, that's a really good starting point. But what what I'm getting at is, especially he he named where he's wanting to go hunt, and it's a place we're familiar with. Uh, out there, like it, you need to look for habitat transitions, which there's no shortage of where he's talking about. Uh, especially in that whole part of the state, there's no shortage of. Uh, go look for where, uh, like, a, some thick young pines meet some tall old pines or meet some hardwood. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, look for habitat edges. Um, go find where a swamp kind of bleeds out into some hardwoods. Go find where uh, two different thickness of pines meet. Maybe it's, like, thinned pines that are, like, you know, big pole timber that you could climb. Uh, find where they meet a little pine savanna or yeah. something along those lines. So like, go start hitting those habitat transitions, 
And if you don't do anything else, just walk those transitions, mm-hmm. and you're going to find something. You're going to start finding deer sign. Yeah, you're going to find scrapes. You're going to find rubs, no doubt. Yeah, I think. And, and that's your starting point, and then you just got to figure it out from there. Yep, basically. Awesome. Well, perfect. Well, guys, this will wrap up this episode. We appreciate y'all watching this episode on YouTube. Appreciate all the YouTube support. Appreciate all the comments as well. It's been great kind of seeing some of y'all's thought processes on these different episodes. Appreciate everybody also listening to the podcast. And again, remember, guys, uh, you got a few days left uh, for the first like Black Friday sale, so you can go save on a bunch of gear. Uh, you know, all of our favorite camo. Yeah, and um, Onyx is thirty percent off right now. If you don't have your Elite membership, Onyx thirty percent off. Holy crap! Listen, guys, save big time. All right, so um, there's a ton of sales going on right now. Especially Especially as you're going to Black Friday. So it's a good time if you need to try to pick up a few more pieces of gear or find some stocking stuffers. You know, if you got your buddy who always takes, like, say, your hunting club or private land or whatever, and he never knows where the hell he's at and he hasn't downloaded Onyx or anything like that, <laughs> just go buy him a membership, okay? Just <laughs> just help him out, stick in the stocking stuffer. Hey, dude, listen, I'm tired of you asking me where you're going. Here you go. I'm dropping you a pin, dropping you a track. Go follow it. That's right. So, but hey, uh, gun season in Alabama, y'all better be going to Weaver's, baby. Weaver Meat Processing. Go check them out. Worth the drive. Best processing in the game. Absolutely. For and sure. Also, again, with gun season here in Alabama and a bunch of other states as well, pick up a Southern Outdoorsman blaze orange hat. Again, it's been really good look for a lot of people. A lot <laughs> of people, okay? So, uh, might kill your biggest buck ever wearing that hat right there. And then all the other hats. Again, appreciate everybody that's been buying merchandise from us. Uh, again, working on some other ones. But again, we just got, again, the old school camo hat just came back in stock along with, Andrew calls it the chocolate chip hat, the brown on brown. Um, but again, appreciate all the support. Appreciate everybody listening. Appreciate everybody watching. Appreciate everybody following us on social media. And guys, remember, you're not going to want to miss Monday's episode. So y'all have a great weekend. Hopefully y'all kill some beer, submit some listener success stories. And remember, y'all stay safe. Look, last summer, y'all heard us talk a bunch about the Mobile Hunters Expo. It was an incredible event. A bunch of you guys came out to meet us. We got to talk to, I don't even know how many listeners. If you heard all that last year and you were like, dang, that sounded cool, I should have went to that. Here's your chance. You need to make it to this one. It's June 28th through June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. All right, giving you a heads up here, so go ahead and mark it on your calendar. June 28th through June 30th, Dalton, Georgia is going to be the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. We're going to be there. A bunch of our past podcast guests are going to be there. There's going to be seminars. All of the mobile hunting companies are going to be there for you to try out gear before you buy it. It's like the one event of the year where all of the the like the mobile hunter ecosystem just kind of congregates in one place. And Chris and Josh and the guys have done an absolutely phenomenal job putting this thing together over the last couple years. And it keeps getting better every year. So like I said, make sure you come see us. We're going to have a gigantic stack of free stickers to give away to every listener that stops by the booth. And we're going to have merch there to purchase. We're going to be recording podcasts, shooting videos, all kinds of stuff. So like I said, don't miss it. You can head on over to the mobilehuntersexpo.com to look at show schedules and dates and go ahead and grab your tickets. So y'all go check it out at the mobilehuntersexpo.com.